Welcome to the King's Word Bible Study. I'm your host, Brother Vinnie Fitzgerald, and today we're going to delve into the Bible to bring you insight from God's Word that will help you to grow and to develop into spiritual maturity. These lessons are designed to help guide you and strengthen you in your relationship with the Lord. Whether you've never opened a Bible or read it cover to cover, this podcast will inform and uplift you. Our purpose is not only for you to know and to understand the King's Word, but for you to live it out in your day-to-day life. Philippians 4 and 9 tells us, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Today, our topic is going to be the Lamb of God. Let's begin in Exodus chapter 12. In Exodus chapter 12, beginning in the first verse, It says, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. Ye shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and ye shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door posts of the houses wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire, his head and his legs, and with the pertinence thereof. And ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth of it until the morning ye shall burn with fire. And thus shall ye eat it, with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day, shall be unto you for a memorial, and ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord. For at your generations ye shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. In this chapter we find the importance of Passover, and we see the involvement and the importance of the Passover lamb. There is a special connection between Passover and Easter. They are inseparably intertwined with each other. The use of a lamb for the Passover is for good reason. The lamb represents Jesus Christ. We find this twice in the first chapter of John. In John 1 verse 29, it says, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Then verse 36 says, And looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. Since the Lamb is a type of Christ, and a foreshadowing of him, it's important that we take a closer look at the Passover Lamb. Verse 5 said, 
Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. Ye shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. This is the first part of foreshadowing that we need to look at. The key phrase in this verse is without blemish. In the Hebrew, it means sound, wholesome, unimpaired, innocent, having integrity of God's way. It also means what is complete, entirely in accord with truth and fact. Hebrews 9 and 14 tells us, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? The lamb had to be complete and sound without blemish because under the law, the Lord accepted nothing less than perfection. Then, since it was without blemish, it would be considered an acceptable sacrifice. This standard of perfection, which was set by a perfectly righteous and just God, was perfectly fulfilled in Jesus, who lived a perfect, sinless life. He had to live a sinless life without blemish in order for his sacrifice to be acceptable to God. In order for him to be able to take the world's sin upon himself, it was necessary that he had no sin of his own. Otherwise, he would have been with blemish. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 1 John 3 and 5 also tells us, And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. The last part of the definition that we looked at earlier said, Entirely in accord with truth and fact. This also reveals to us how Christ was without blemish. He was more than just in accord with truth. He is truth. John 14 and 6 says, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The truth by nature of what it is cannot possibly contain blemishes. Otherwise, it would no longer be truth. It would become falsehood. This is another reason why he had to live a perfect sinless life. The second part of the verse said, You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. The act of taking the lamb out from the other animals shows that it was set apart and separated because of the special role that it was to play. The same is true of Jesus. He was set apart and separated because of the mission that he was on. Even though he lived in the world, he was not of them. And in his death, he was taken from the world. John 17 and 19 says, And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified through the truth. He was sanctified and consecrated for the special role that he was called to fulfill, a role that no one else could ever fulfill. He was taken from the world in order to save the world, but he returned three days later, and it's because of his resurrection that we now have the victory. Verse 7 says, and they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper doorpost of the houses, wherein they shall eat it. The blood of the lamb applied to the doorposts represents protection. Verse 13 says, And the blood shall be to you a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Let's go to Exodus chapter 29. In Exodus chapter 29, beginning in the 38th verse, it says, Now this is that which thou shalt offer upon the altar, two lambs of the first year, day by day continually, the one lamb that shall offer in the morning, 
and the other lamb that shall offer it even. And with the one lamb a tenth deal of flour, mingled with the fourth part of a hen of beaten oil, and the fourth part of a hen of wine, for a drink offering. And the other lamb thou shalt offer it even, and shalt do thereto according to the meat offering of the morning, and according to the drink offering thereof, for a sweet savor, an offering made by fire unto the Lord. This shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord, where I will meet you to speak there unto thee. And there I will meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. The blood of lambs was also used for sin offerings. Hebrews 9 and 22 says, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. A lamb without blemish, being sacrificed and shedding its blood, was an acceptable offering for the temporary removal of sin. The penalty of sin is death, no matter what type of sin is committed or how much sin is committed. Romans 6 and 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is important in the context of blood, because the life is in the blood. Leviticus 17 and 11 tells us, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that taketh an atonement for the soul. The sacrificial scapegoat of a lamb, or another animal in the Old Testament, and Christ in the New Testament, shed their blood, giving of their life, and taking the penalty of sins of others, dying, so that through their blood others might live. John 6 and 53 says, Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat of the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. We must also make note of the differences here. Hebrews 10 and 4 says, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Scapegoats of the Old Testament could only offer temporal forgiveness. It's only the blood of Jesus that can offer true eternal forgiveness at the most complete and deepest level. But beyond this, we find similar circumstances with the Passover lamb. God made it clear in verse 12 that it was his intention that the Egyptians should die, and it was the blood of the Passover lamb that protected the Israelites from facing the same fate. Verse 12 says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. We also must ask ourselves why the blood was only applied to the upper doorposts and the side posts of the doorway, and not the threshold also. If it was applied to the threshold, it would have been stepped on and walked upon, which represents subjugation and inferiority. Since the blood was what was protecting them, and since it revealed things to come, it couldn't have been on the threshold. It had to be in a place of honor. Hebrews 10.29 tells us, Of how much sore punishment suppose ye, shall he be fought worthy, who have trodden underfoot the Son of God, and have counted the blood of the covenant, wherewith he was sanctified, an unholy thing, and have done despite under the Spirit of grace. The blood of the Lamb is foreshadowing of the blood of Christ. The same way that the Lamb shed his blood to protect the Israelites and preserve their lives, Christ on an infinitely eternal level shed his blood to save us and give us life. Colossians 1 and 20 says, And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, 
By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or in heaven. Hebrews 13 and 12 tells us, Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. The power is in the blood of Christ. It's the blood that preserves us through all the attacks that the enemy throws our way. The next foreshadowing that we need to look at is in verses 8 through 9, which tell us, And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire, his head with his legs, and with the pertinence thereof. At first glance, it may not seem like there's any foreshadowing of Christ in this verse, but there are some deeper truths in this verse than what meets the eye. In order to discover what this is, we need to look at the context of the time and the customs of when this was written. The Dake's Reference Bible says concerning these verses, Jews were to roast the lamb and not eat any of it raw, as Egyptians who ate raw flesh in honor of Osiris. Thus God was seeking in every conceivable way to make Israel free from all idolatrous practices and honor to any false god. These verses were more than just directions on how to prepare the meal, although they did serve that function. More importantly, they foreshadowed part of Christ's mission to save us from idolatry. Before Christ came, idolatry was rampant throughout the world, and it still is in many places today. Gentile heathen nations were by default idolatrous because they lacked that special knowledge and connection with God that the Jews had. But even though the Jews had that special connection with God, they were still especially susceptible to falling into the trap of idolatry. When the Israelites fell into idolatry, it was worse, because they did so consciously, having previous knowledge of the Lord. Whereas when the Gentiles fell into idolatry, in the vast majority of cases, it was done so ignorantly, because they had no previous understanding of the Lord. The same way that God used the Lamb to keep Israel away from idolatrous practices, the Lord sent His Son Jesus to free us from the trap of idolatry and bring us to the truth. Galatians 4 and 8 says, How be it then, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them which by nature are no gods. Before we were born again, this was our default setting. Because of mankind's fallen nature, the unregenerate man is always more inclined to turn away from God rather than turn towards Him. Christ came to free us from our idolatry. When we are truly born again and go into the covenant with Him, He becomes our all in all, our everything, our entire life belongs to Him, and there is no room left for idols to go. Isaiah chapter 2 verses 17 through 18 say, And the loftiness of man shall be bowed down, and the haughtiness of men shall be made low, and the Lord shall be exalted in that day, and the idols he shall utterly abolish. Then verse 20 says, In that day a man shall cast his idols of silver and his idols of gold, which they made each one for himself to worship, to the moles and to the bats. Idolatry is used by the enemy to keep us from surrendering to Christ, because we feel like we can find what we're looking for somewhere else. But it's not until we come to Christ that we find everything that we're looking for and more. Verse 10 says, And ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth of it until the morning ye shall burn with fire. This is an interesting verse. Why would he not want any of it left over until the next day? This was showing the Israelites that they shouldn't be looking for their provision to come from the natural. This was meant to further teach them 
that God is their provider. And the next day, when they have no more provision in the natural, God will provide what they need. This verse foreshadows Christ. When we're born again, Christ lives within us. And since he is our provider, this means our provision comes from within. We need to look inwardly for it. Christ frees us from having to look outwardly towards the world for our provision because we find all that we need and all that we want and even more in him. Philippians 4 and 19 says, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Ephesians 3 and 20 tells us, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. We are free to find our provision in God. And like the Israelites who trusted in God, we're free to not have to worry about tomorrow. Matthew 6 and 34 says, Take therefore no foot for the morrow, for the morrow shall take foot for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Verse 11 says, And thus ye shall eat it, with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. This verse may just seem like instructions on what to wear, but there's even foreshadowing hidden in this verse. There are two things that this verse shows that the children of Israel were ready for. The first thing is travel. By the types of clothing that the Lord commanded them to wear, it shows that he was preparing them for travel. Exodus 6.6 says, Wherefore say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. This shows that God's desire was to deliver them, and they needed to be ready to start their journey out of Egypt and into the promised land. The second thing that it shows is that they were ready for change. The Israelites were preparing to change the way that they lived. They were leaving their society and culture, the one that they had always known, to enter into something new. They were leaving bondage and entering into freedom. This was change at every level. This was foreshadowing of the mission of Christ, the mission that he came for. Christ came so that man could be changed. When a man invites Christ into his life, everything changes. His old nature has passed away. He's taken from the bondage of the world and brought into the liberty of Christ. God puts his Holy Spirit within us. He gives us a new nature and renews our mind. These are all drastic changes. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 tells us, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Christ's mission was defined by change. He came to set free a world that was ready for change. The last piece of foreshadowing that we need to look at is in verse 6, which says, And you shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. This verse is very interesting because it's unlike anything else that we find in the Levitical law. This verse shows that the lamb was not treated like the other animals or livestock that the Israelites owned. The lamb was meant to be kept in the home, similar to how a pet is kept in the home today. This indicates an important type of foreshadowing. Since the lamb was in the house with the people over the course of 14 days, they became acquainted with the lamb. They grew attached to it. When they slew the lamb at the end of the two weeks, they were slaying an animal that they had grown to love and to care about. This was necessary because of what would take place with Christ later on. 
Like the Lamb, Christ, the first time he came, dwelt among us. John 1 and 14, speaking of Jesus, says, And the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. At that time, the people around him became acquainted with him. They loved and cared about him. When it came time for him to fulfill prophecy by being crucified, they were watching someone that they loved and cared about being slain on their behalf. But the story didn't end there. Christ went beyond what was foreshadowed by the Passover lamb. When he was crucified to the natural eye and perception, it would have seemed like the chance to be acquainted with him was permanently over and lost. But three days later, he resurrected from the dead, and now he is alive and lives forevermore. Now the same thing that was available to those living in the first century is available to us today also. We can know Jesus, the Lamb of God, for ourselves in an intimate, personal way. We can be acquainted with him. Job 22 and 21 says, Acquaint now thyself with him, and be at peace. Thereby good shall come unto thee. We need to get to know him, spend time with him, and talk to him. Since we live after the resurrection, we have what none of those people before it had. We have the Lamb of God residing within us. And as we celebrate Easter, we need to remember that even though the Lamb of God was slain, that that wasn't the end. He is resurrected, and he lives, and now he lives within us. Now we all have the benefits that were foreshadowed by the Lamb. We're covered by his blood. We're free from the trap of idolatry. We're able to be sanctified without spot or blemish in God's eyes. We're able to look to God as our provider, and we're able to be personally acquainted with him. As we celebrate this year, we need to know that we can find everything we could ever need or want in the Lamb of God. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you that you made that ultimate sacrifice on our behalf, that through your death we might live, and that we might be freed from the bondage and the power of the enemy and of sin. Lord, we thank you for that freedom that you bought on our behalf. And Lord, we know that today you live, and you live forevermore. Right now, Lord, you are within us. And Lord, we thank you that we can be acquainted with you and know you personally on a first-hand basis. And Lord, we thank you that you are our provider and that we're free from having to look outwardly to the world to find all those things that we need. We thank you that we can find them in you. And Lord, we thank you that in your eyes, we're free from spot or blemish and that we're justified in your sight. And Lord, we thank you that we don't have to fall into the trap of idolatry, that we can be free to worship you in spirit and in truth. And Lord, we thank you for your blood because we know that the power is in your blood. And Lord, we thank you that we're covered today. And we thank you that you are protecting us and preserving us from all the attacks and all the plagues that the enemy tries to throw our way. And Lord, we give you all the honor, all the glory, and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you want to know the Lamb of God and have Jesus as a part of your life today, all you need to do is to invite Jesus into your heart to be your personal Lord and Savior. You then need to repent of your sins and ask for his forgiveness. Then you trust that you've been forgiven and you ask for his free gift of eternal life. Now, if you've prayed this from a sincere heart and you truly meant it, then you are now a part of the family of God. Welcome to God's family. We want to thank everybody for listening today. We appreciate you taking out your time to spend with us. 
If you'd like to give us feedback and tell us how much you appreciate this show, you can contact us at kingswordbiblestudy at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about this program and this ministry, you can visit kingswordbible.com. We appreciate also if you write a review from wherever you're listening to this podcast from, and if you follow and subscribe so that more people can hear the King's Word for themselves. God bless you. We want you to know that we love you all. And we will see you next week as we continue to study the King's Word together.